Okay, so we want this to work without any of the weird, weird audio things. Yeah, let's hope this recording goes much better than the one we just did, because that was a fucking shit show. But I feel like, because we all use Audacity, and we all, like, read that podcast book from the McElroy brothers, and it's just like, we know better. We know that Audacity is going to fuck us over. We were told. We (laughs) Yeah. We didn't listen. We just didn't listen. No. We've been using Audacity for the better part of a year. And I have always run into, like, slowness issues when editing, but it has literally, like, tried to shit the bed on me this last editing session. And then just now, when we were recording, it was like my audio kept silencing itself for no reason. And then whenever we stopped recording and got to the end, it told me that parts of my sound were corrupted. So God only knows what that sounds like. Yeah. Not to mention, like, when we went to start, it was like, oh, you don't have your microphone plugged in, even though it showed it on there. What, yeah. this microphone? No. <laughs> yeah. No, not, not Honestly, that no, no. like I told you guys earlier, I feel like it's my curse. It's my fault. Because this morning I had a coworker go like, oh, I use this one program for like when I need to record things. It's called Other City. And I just went like, that program fucking sucks. It's the worst. <laughs> and she was like, oh, I've never had any issues with it. No, it's the worst. So I feel like I cursed us. It heard you. Yeah. It's cursed us. It heard you talking shit. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh. You think I'm going to be bad? I'm going to be so much worse. I'm going to be so yeah. much... I can be worse. Yeah. yeah. I was trying to think of, like, basically what, what technology I'm proficient with, um, just for, like, kind of updating resumes and all that stuff. And it was just, like, I have to put Audacity on there for, like, at least minimally. But it was, like, yeah. the amount of time I have spent troubleshooting random, like, shit on Audacity. <laughs> yeah. It's unreal. It's like, Yes, I'm going to put down that I'm proficient because if nothing yes. else, I am like focused enough to sit there for the 20 fucking minutes to figure out whatever little diva like meltdown Audacity is having. Yeah. <laughs> this is us manifesting Audacity just completely shitting the bed and eating this recording for this. Honestly, episode. it's going to be so bad. Right? Uh, yeah. yeah, we know. Yeah. Good thoughts. Good thoughts, everyone. We know. We should sure, just sure. we should just get started because we don't want to waste a lot of time recording this episode. That is definitely go speed run. <laughs> yeah, podcast episode speed run. Let's go. And welcome to my podcast, Knows What She Read in the Dark, a book club podcast made by chaotic people for chaotic people. I'm Lady. I'm B. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caitlin. And we're four friends here to tell you what's what about the books we read and loved this month or the books we hated this month. B, you're up first. I think you read a series, right? I did. I think Kristen and I both read series. Yeah. We did. Mine's the positive one. (laughs) Yay. All right. I'll jump in because, like, I actually, like... I like to write my notes on paper, uh, but this I was trying just for a number of reasons. I was not able to write my notes like for a while. I was trying to like crush and get them all done today, um, and it just was taking too long. So then I had to like <laughs> type them up because uh, I have notes. Anyway, get ready for it. We're on a journey. All right, here we go. Let's go. So I first encountered Holly Black from her novel, The Cruel Prince, in 2018. And yes, I'm mentioning this just so we can make sure that we have our recording. Check, check, oh, check. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if we mentioned it last episode. We didn't. We didn't. 
That's why that episode's cursed. Oh. You're right. Maybe. Anyway, so 2018. It was a year of massive change for me, including switching jobs away from a principal that I adore and admire greatly, um, which when you're a teacher, that makes a big difference. Um, choosing to refinance my student loan so I could get any traction uh, in terms of like moving like towards some life milestones that I wanted to achieve. 2018 involved moving back home to save money. Basically, I was angry and depressed. I was a millennial, am a millennial, but at the time I was a millennial who had done everything right and couldn't achieve full independence. What a fucking mood. Yep, mood. Yeah. <laughs> I've mood. been attacked. Yep. <laughs> On top of that, I had stopped reading for pleasure when I started teaching, just teaching in general, because I was so overwhelmed and taking work home to keep up with the workload. And you still are? Uh, yeah. I, shh, shh. <laughs> I'll come back to that. Okay. I will come back to that. So anyway, it's 2018. I had been grinding for six years. Um, I, you know, this is 2018 right now. So in this moment, I've managed to be the one in five teachers statistic uh, that stay in the job after five years. That's, if you don't know this, four out of five teachers leave teaching in their first five years. If you're, if you really know this, uh, two out of five teachers will leave the profession after one year wow so anyway 2018 but i'm tired of grinding and i had a stack of unread books from a friend who had gifted a year-long subscription of alcrate subscription boxes anyway and cruel prince was the january 2018 so anyway i picked up the cruel prince based on the back of the book blurb and uh it changed me forever which is great because i met you my co-host besties yes yeah. Love you. Love you. So cut to this year. I'm working every night until midnight. Still a teacher. Uh, I'm again dealing with big changes for this coming year. New boundaries, new obligations with family, new care for certain family members, etc. Um, and again, because of work, I had stopped reading. Um, I didn't even keep up with the Warren Page Library Book of the Month um, readings. Like once school started, like August, I made through those books, and then like I'm, st I think I've managed to c catch up on September, but I still like October, November, December. Like I stopped, and that was frustrating for me because, um, it for me especially, and then also just between Lady and I, like it had been a point of pride to read each month's books, you know, come mm -hmm. what may, even if it was terrible, and I wasn't able to do that. But anyway, I'm still gonna try and catch up. So like. We mentioned kind of in between, like, I haven't read the December book, Summer Suns. Anyway, so I was in another slump this year. So whom did I seek out? Holly Black. Holly Black. Yep. Holly, Holly. <laughs> so I first read The Coldest Girl in Cold Town. And I had mentioned that uh, a little while on like on the like one of the last recordings. Um, but and I highly recommend it, even as a person who doesn't hitch my fantasy kicks on vampire stuff. Holly is amazing at staying true to traditional lore and yet adapting it into a modern world. Um, and that comes through in this story, The Coldest Girl in Cold Town, but that's not the book I'm going to talk about tonight. But I recommend it anyway. Uh, instead, I'm going to talk about a series of Hollies that I just finished reading called The Curse Workers. That's actually the name for the whole series. The Curse Workers entails three books. White Cat, which was published in 20 2010. Red Glove, which was published in 2011, and Black Heart, published in 2012. So the series is set in, al in an alternative modern world. There are still cars, cell phones, private schools, press conferences, and the American government. Boo! Boo. <laughs> we hate to see it. <laughs> oh, trust me, it comes, it comes into this. You'll see. Um, or here. But some people are slightly different. Some people have special magical abilities that end up being referred to as curses, hence the curse workers. 
There are seven curse abilities that can manipulate luck, memories, emotions, dreams, and the physical human body. Um, Some folks can transform matter itself, and others can kill with one touch. With the exception, so I'm going to try and explain a lot of the magic that takes up actually a lot of my notes. So, with the exception of death curses, the other six disciplines can manipulate uh, their kind of curse a couple of ways. Luck workers can bestow good or bad luck. Memory workers can take away whole memories, key parts of memories, shield a memory, or even plant incorrect memories. Physical workers can inflict or take away pain. They can take away illness and possibly cause illness, though it wasn't referenced, like that part particular, like causing uh, illness, wasn't referenced specifically in the series. Dream workers give good or bad dreams, um, or like specific dreams. Uh, And transformation workers can transform an object or person as well as revert a transformation. This already sounds so good. I know! I had, it had been like, because it was Holly, I I had like, it had been intriguing, but I also had like magic in a modern world setting. I'm always like, okay, how are we going to do this? (laughs) Yeah. um, Urban fantasy can be really hit or miss, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, so this kind of gets into it. Now, any curse work incurs blow blowback. It's called blowback in the series related to the curse discipline. The larger the magical task, the greater the blowback. And I think this does a bit to explain the transfer of magic system, which is always one of my things when I'm reading a magic system is part of me gets into like, is this really possible for like hat kind of fitting into physics? And like, if you're in a modern alternative universe where you still have so much that is familiar to your reader, part of me wants the physics to work, you know? Mm-hmm. Anyway, let's talk about the blowback. Um, the blowback, for example, to a luck worker is the opposite luck bestowed back on the, the worker. So if a luck worker bestows good luck to a couple at a wedding, the luck worker incurs bad luck, like missing the bus transfer or stepping in a puddle on accident. My whole day-to-day, honestly. Yeah. (laughs) Right? So if the luck worker, like, and this is, again, the bigger the task, the bigger the blowback. So if the luck worker, like, bestowed luck on the expected bad outcome of a nasty gunshot stomach surgery so that the luck is good and that person survives... The blowback would be significant bad luck, like making a mistake on your tax form and landing in federal prison for 25 years kind of thing. Oh, my God. Yeah, this is the kind of like tit for tat. The blowback is definitely like you incur it. So I think that kind of tempers that you have magical people that can't just go magic willy nilly. Like there is a price paid for the magic. For example, that's like a luck worker. Memory workers lose their memories and have to find a way to remind themselves, like memento themselves, the true facts of their life, including things like your name is blah and you live here and this is the picture of the person you love. Oh my gosh. Like they can lose their whole memories depending on how much they use their curse. Um, Emotion workers have unstable mood swings after a curse. Dream workers have persistent bad sleep or insomnia for days. Me. I was gonna say, mine is like the one she said before. I'm giving it all to Ryan. That's why he can fall asleep within 0.2 seconds of his head hitting the pillow. Um, It is an amazing frustration for me that my partner can fall asleep, literally. I was in college one time. They fell asleep. They literally fell asleep, like sat up, 
leaning against my shin, <laughs> face <laughs> against my shin. Ryan has fallen asleep mid sentence before. Yup. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Fuck. Uh, Literally makes me so mad. So angry. Men are wild. <laughs> um, so anyway, we have dream workers, persistent bed sleep or insomnia, and then physical workers basically get a long term or chronic illness that eventually becomes terminal. Death workers can only inflict death. There's no salvation mechanism to their curse. And it costs death workers a body part. So the main character's grandfather is a death worker, and he loses a finger for each death hit. At the start of the series, he has three fingers that are just blackened stumps. Mm, yummy. <laughs> Later on, the main character encounters a death worker that doesn't have as terrible a cost to his death work. So he's like, the fuck? How, like, how is yeah. that fair? Because <laughs> he's thinking of his grandfather who, like, loses a finger. Anyway, for the astute listeners, you've noticed that I've left off talking about transformation workers and their blowback. That's because they're super duper rare. They're so rare, they're almost considered an urban legend, a once-in-a-generation curse worker. At the start of the series, it's rumored there is one in China, and that's it. So, like, no one really knows what the blowback is for a transformation worker. What else? Um, all curses are completed through hand-to-skin contact. So as a result, everyone in this world wears gloves almost all the time. At one point, related to a political thing, uh, there's a protest uh, like against um, like discriminating against curse workers, and people like part of the, the protesters like take their gloves off. Oh my god, Holly Black's such a foreshadower. <laughs> It's this moment of, like, Puritan scandal of, like, oh my god, I've never seen a girl's hands! <laughs> but also, like, Holly Black predicted the pandemic. Right? Because yeah, this is 2010. Yeah, yeah, yeah she yeah, predicted yeah. the pandemic. <sighs> I just want to talk, Holly. Curses can be counteracted with a charm. Charms are made when a curse worker from that discipline basically imbues, I guess, like a counter curse into stone, usually. Like, stones are considered able to hold a counter curse most effectively, but they can imbue it into like any kind of matter, but most often it's a stone. The way this works is that if you wear the charm for that curse, and if someone works you for that curse discipline, the stone cracks or breaks. It prevents the curse from taking hold, though the curse worker still experiences blowback for attempting the curse itself. So that's kind of what I can do for the magic system. So it's a normal-ish American life, except everyone wears gloves, um, and some people wear these charms depending on like their nervousness. Uh, and curses and curse workers have had a varying degree of discrimination within the context of U.S. history, and this should not be surprising to guess about. Tell me something that I, that is shocking. <laughs> yeah, so I'm gonna explain it a little bit. Um, curse workers are called such because they used to be able to have jobs doing that curse discipline openly. Luck workers are the most common curse worker type, and they'd be present to work a luck, a luck curse at every wedding, birth, bat mitzvah, etc. But some of these magics can really fuck with people or fuck them up, right? Remember death workers? Right. Yeah. And by the way, like, again, we're in a modern alternate reality. So kudos to Holly for building back some of this historical revision for this alternative reality that fits with, like, U.S. politics and dynamics. Anyway, so at one point at the turn of the 20th century, the government isn't too pleased with the idea that magic folk can just like live in society with these powers. So they round them up and Good. put them in camps. And you're like, American history, you're like, yeah, all right. Excellent. That checks out. I love it. Uh huh. 
Out of the context of these camps develop crime families, basically like, you know, we're, cur- we're all curse workers. We all have these powers like we need to watch out for each other. So crime families build up out of the context of these camps. And I'm skipping over and glossing over a lot that's embedded in the book. But like Holly does reference like history, uh, like and how the world has come to be what it is today. And there's other reference to like other names for curse workers. And I just won't get into it, but it's there. In the modern day setting, curse working is illegal, but thriving in a criminal underground and black market. The curse worker crime families still have much sway, and the government shows up in the series in the form of a populist politician trying to curry votes with a McCarthy-level legislation, like like the witch hunts, yep. uh, as well as there's a government program trying to like white hat it with curse workers that shows up, so that's also an interesting thing. Our main character is a teenager named Castle Sharp, who comes from a family of curse workers that have lived on the edge of life in the criminal world. Everyone in Castle's family is a curse worker, except him. Granddad is a death worker, mom works emotions, one brother is a physical worker and the other a memory worker. Dad has passed away, but I think he was a luck worker. I can't remember because he's not, you know, he's not really featured except for in like some moments of memories. Things I do remember about the dad, he was a petty thief and a master lockpick and a good con man. And so, like, this is, like, it's not just that they can work these curses, but, like, living the life of crime, like, they're finding ways to survive through crime, right? Like, other means. Right. Anyway, so, for example, mom, as an emotion worker, does a ton of grifting by manipulating the emotions of a mark, usually a man, into keeping her in a life of luxury. At the beginning of the book, she's in jail. I mean, queen (laughs) shit. Little queen shit. Uh, But at the beginning of the book series, she's in jail because she was caught. After the mark basically gave her everything after only dating for like a week, the lawyer of the mark caught on and she's in jail awaiting trial throughout most of the first book. Castle has grown up his whole life around the criminal side of this world. Granddad, as a death worker, was a hitman for one of the crime families, the Zakharovs. One brother, the physical worker, is a low-level soldier for that same Zakharov family. The other brother is at Princeton for law school, and Castle is in his, like, junior-ish high school year at a private school in New Jersey. He grew up envious of all curse workers, still learned the ins and outs of a con man, of, like, con man work, so he knows how to, like, run a con and pick locks and all that stuff. And he grew up in the orbit of Zakharov's daughter, Lila, who was a pretty powerful dream worker. I say was, because she's dead. Castle killed her before the start of the book. Yes, he's traumatized about it. Since he's not a curse worker, I'll pause. Yes, he's traumatized about it. He is dark haired. I mentioned this later again in my notes, but he's dark haired, skinny, traumatized lady. Want him? (laughs) (laughs) So since he's not a curse worker, he's trying to finish school and live a normal life because, well, he's no use to a curse worker crime family if he doesn't have a magical ability. So he's at a private school and he's tried his whole life to fit in, but he doesn't. He acts normal, even had a normal girlfriend for a little while, although they're broken up at the time of the start of the book. Um, and he also, But he also does, like, keep a criminal side to things. He's, like, for example, he's the bookie for all manner of bets at school. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Like, like, literally anything. It could be, like, you think so-and-so teachers are going to have an affair, or you think, like, they're going to have this many snow days, or just, like, stupid shit. And he makes a comment because he's, like, a poor kid at a rich kid's school where he's just, like, yeah, of course I'm going to find a way to make money on the side for kids who are just bored to, like, throw money away. 
So anyway, basically the series opens with this. He's a poor kid from a crime family trying to fake it like a normal kid and read more to find out if he makes it. Since both Lady and Kristen mentioned wanting to read this book, um, I rewrote my review to stop here and not spoil much more. Oh, thank you. Well, yeah, so you might like me deafen for a little bit <laughs> so you don't hear the next part. If you don't want any spoiled bits, you should stop listening for a bit and browse your local indie bookstore through Indiegogo and order the three-part book to get all three books in the series in one tome. So, some major spoiler stuff here for the first book. I don't know if, Lady or Kristen, if you want to stop listening. Nah, that's fine. All right. Nah, I mean, yeah. it's not no big deal. It's not much. I mean, you having read Holly Black before, like, it's not going to be too surprising, per se. Like, you would have picked up on this with a reading comprehension. So here we go. Spoilers ahead. Castle is actually a curse worker. <gasps> Guess what kind? Transformation. Uh-huh. Called it. Yes. I almost said Transfiguration <laughs> like some Harry Potter nerd. Yep. Gross. Yep. <laughs> yep. Our dark-haired, gangly, pathetic boy is actually a transformation worker, and his memory-working brother, at mom's behest, has been altering his memory to make him forget it. Oh, and his transformation ability... Uh, his two brothers have been exploiting that, making him do dirty crime, uh, mob crimes, including killing his childhood love, Lila. Or <gasps> did he? Oh, shit. Transformation magic works on living things in a specific way. If you transform a living thing into another living thing, that living thing lives and can be transformed back to their original living body. If a living thing is transformed into an inanimate object... That living thing is dead and can only be reverted into a dead body. Okay. So those mob crimes, people got transformed into objects. But Lila, his boyhood super crush and daughter of a crime boss, he manages to transfer her, transform her into a white cat. Yeah! <laughs> so white cat is basically Castle realizing he's a chosen one curse worker and subverting an assassination attempt and a coup on the crime boss. It's still a clever read, even with that spoiled. Enjoy. Red Glove deals with Castle trying to hide his identity, not only as a curse worker in general at school, when that's illegal, but also navigating the repercussions of his curse working, right, from book one, both in the past, and with some pretty high up folks knowing that he's a transformation worker. Black Heart deals with the cliffhanger con that castle had to throw together to save his family and he, it's also how like how he tries to weasel out of the iron grip of an organization that will trap him for life that's all i'm gonna say but i hope that perhaps building up the world building and kind of giving you some of these teasers you'll still want to read it i definitely, definitely do oh i am reading this next <laughs> i think the magic system alone is really intriguing to me like i really liked how you explained it and it sounds so good and part of it there's another series i read a long time ago um the ace of shades series by amanda foodie that also it's not modern world like it's definitely like an alternative world not modern world but it also has like this borderline life of crime borderline illegal borderline whatever um magic system to it anyway like there were like flavors of of that that like kept coming up in my memory when i was reading this and so i think that helped me kind of put together the magic system for you but yeah it's it's pretty cool yeah it sounds amazing i had kind of planned on reading something else after the book that i'm on right now but i think i'm gonna read that because <laughs> it sounds really good i yeah i enjoyed it uh, despite i mean some of you know like this, i have some personal stuff going on and so i had to like 
put oftentimes put stuff down, put it up, but, but like this is, I'm glad I chose this. Yeah. <laughs> so in all of this, remember this was started in 2010 through, through 2012. So before The Cruel mm-hmm. Prince and The Folk of the Air. Um, in all of this, I couldn't help but compare Castle and Lila to Jude and Cardin. Castle schemes and cons and outmaneuvers his opponents. All of his opponents, basically. He's just this side of brazen, and sometimes he falls flat on his face with it, but sometimes he, it works out. Like, and you hear, like, a lot of his narrative, like, he has lived a life on the edge, and he knows crimes, and he knows, like, how to con someone, and you hear him talk, use that language, or like, like, picking a mark and all this stuff. And Holly mentions in the acknowledgments of, like, talking to people who had written books of, like, how do you run a con and stuff like that. He's so strung out on Lila. It's pathetic. Yes. Oh, bless him. I'm I'm gonna I just have a, a passage that like gives you a hint at his mindset. There's I can't explain the back like I can't explain the context for this scene. It's it's in the third book and I can't explain it. But she was the epic crush of my childhood. She was the tragedy that made me look inside myself and see my corrupt heart. She was my sin and my salvation, come back from the grave to change me forever. Again, back then, when she sat on my bed and told me that she loved me, I wanted her as much as I have ever wanted anything. I'm going to throw Get up. Get you a man who calls <laughs> you his tragedy. Yeah. Right? His sin and salvation. Like, get out of here. Mm-hmm. He's such a teenager trying to figure out what the fuck is right and wrong uh, and if and where he wants to land on that spectrum. Lila is a girl in a king's castle, Jude, right? Grown up in, in like that luxury. She's determined to earn her spot as the heir to the family, right? Crime family. She's a dream worker. She gets terrible sleep swallows any qualms of what entails the family business and dons the mantle of ruthlessness while keeping steadfast her heart's desires. I love them both. Yes. Yeah. Like, you don't have to say anymore. I've, I've been won over. <laughs> There's only one more quote that I just wanted to throw in here because it's like, again, it's like modern alternative universe and just... If you're an unfamiliar with Holly Black, one, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast, but um, I just want to give you a teaser of just, like, when we talk about these, they're teenagers, and, like, but also, how do they participate with a crime family? And so, again, this is Castle's um, narration of just, like, trying to navigate, like, what what is his future? So he says... But now I wonder, what if everyone is pretty much the same, and it's just a thousand small choices that add up to the person you are? No good or evil, no black and white, no inner demons or angels whispering the right answers in our ears like it's some cosmic SAT test. Just us, hour by hour, minute by minute, day by day, making the best choices we can. The thought is horrifying. If that's true, then there's no right choice. There's just choice. Wow. So yeah, it it was like, I mean, the folk of the air is always like up there for me. Like just always, there's no unseat. This didn't this did not unseat them, but I really enjoyed it. Part of it is Holly's ability to here is the modern world, and I've tweaked it just enough. She's really good at that. Yeah, exactly. she is really really yeah. good. She takes urban fantasy to like a whole nother level, and I really appreciate it. Yeah, 
so much of the stuff that she throws in, like, again, the politics that come up, you're like, oh my god, absolutely. Like, this is exactly how this would go. You know, like, it's just so believable. And then even then, though, like, Castle trying to navigate what he's navigating. And, like, again, not just from the, you know, chosen one trope, not just from teenage boy hung up on a girl, but what it means to be the poor kid at a private school, what it means to have very different summer experiences than your peers, what it means to have to navigate the language of the elite compared to what you know, what it is to navigate fucked up family dynamics <laughs> <laughs> um you know and and so there's just so many things that like holly does really well so yeah it's it's good you should read it <laughs> I, I am i, I am. own two out of three of them i think i'm missing the first one and that's why i haven't read it yeah mm-hmm, yeah i definitely mm-hmm. want to read these two <laughs> good i'm glad and again like it's it's not really big fantasy like it's not it's not like fairies not you know but it's it's done well with like how do you um like how did you imagine and fit a magic system with the modern day and technology holly is a veteran of the fantasy space and people are just not talking about her stuff enough honestly yeah mm-hmm. honestly yeah and that's kind of why i picked it because it was like i could do a, i was like i could do rereads obviously like but at the same time, I was like, part of it is I have um, a niece and who has finally gotten, not finally, but who has gotten into reading recently. And so I was like, I never grew up with the Spiderwick Chronicles, but I was like, try these. Yes. You know, yeah. Appropriate. And I was like, try these. And I was like, this is one of my favorite authors. And if you like them, like, they've got a ton. And so I was looking at like the bibliography and I had already read, like, I'd already read the modern fairy tales darkest part of the forest um, i had read everything basically like kind of connected to the folk of the air i i just was like what else can i read and so i was trying to like figure stuff out and like i said i started with the coldest girl in cold town uh, but that was just not just that's a standalone novel and i was like i need more <laughs> <laughs> so that's where i jumped in with this sounds good anyway that was it well to take a take hard it left down. turn here. <laughs> take us down. Uh, so B talked about an author that she really likes. And conveniently enough, this is actually an author that I really like, but this series uh sucks so bad. Oh no. I have been bullied endlessly for my love of dark romance here. And around Christmas, I got into a pretty deep hole um for reading. I'm going to blame Nightbane for this. Um <laughs> Because it put me in a bad slump. Um, and it seems like... You We're know, sorry, but not sorry. To, I'm not sorry. I know you're not sorry. Um, but anyways, I tend to turn to dark romance when I get into these slumps because I don't have to think too hard about the material. Like, fantasy is too complex. Mysteries require too much of my own internal thinking. I just want something that's there that I can read and I don't have to focus too deeply on what's happening. Over the last like year or so, I've been turning to Eva Ashwood during these times. I like her writing well enough. The stories are all basically the same. They're a reverse harem, which is a trope that I like, and the smut is really good. 
I've started running out of her material though. So I started going back into her really old catalog, which dropped me off at the Clearwater University series. I will admit that I was not super optimistic already. I don't really like college stories, especially when it comes to romances and the premise seemed like something I wasn't going to enjoy, but I was willing to give it a chance. But this series is just really, really bad. Oh my. So Clearwater University, we are following Emma, who is going to college with her former best friends, also old high school bullies. Oh, great. Yeah. Good fucking start. (laughs) Even in college, these fucking douches, also known as West, Reese, and Trent, are bullying this girl. Trent. (laughs) Trent. Yeah. And he's the worst one, trust me. Of course he is. Uh, Yeah. These, like I said, they're bullying this girl endlessly. They even have a name for their little clique. A la the plastics, these idiots have named themselves the icons. Stop. No. No. Yeah. When I read the icons on the page, I was like, do I want to keep reading this? And I was like, maybe it's just like this little thing that will go away. But no, it just kept coming up. Anyway, so what is the reason for this relentless bullying? Well, Trent. She wears glasses. Great, great, lovely Trent believes that Emma broke up his parents' marriage because she introduced his mom to her dad. Um. Um. Dude, what? Oh, no. Are these step-siblings? We'll, we'll get there. Oh, no. So. Oh. I already hate this so much. Trent has no proof that this is actually what made his parents get divorced. He never asks Emma about this, despite being her best friend at the time. He just assumes that it's the reason, ropes in his piece of shit friends, and they make this girl's life a living hell. Great. Like, like maybe just talk to each other. You're supposed to be best friends. Why is this so difficult for you to understand? Like, I've heard of, like, you know miscommunication in books, but this was like a whole nother level of miscommunication. Didn't make any sense. It pissed me off so bad that this was the whole reason behind the bullying. But that's not the only thing. These four, these three little babies are mad because Emma turned all of them down when they asked her out on a date. Um, did they ask together? No, it was separate. Oh, okay. So maybe that's your problem, boys. Yeah, Mm -hmm. she turned them down because she didn't want to ruin the friendship that they had. Perfectly understandable because she didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings, so she turned. I mean, all clearly of them seeing their reaction, like she probably did the right choice, made the right choice. Honestly, their red exactly. flag is too red. red. Red flag city. Okay. Anyway, let's get into like the plot. This is all kind of stuff that happened before, so we're getting into the plot. Emma and these dudes get groped into a group project for one of their classes. They kind of go back and forth, like, being nice to Emma and bullying her. It's all very stupid. For some reason, she has sex with these guys. I don't know why they are bullying her. And yet she has, like, no self-respect. Like, girl. Love yourself. Love yourself. Stop doing this. Um, So we get to the end of the first, well, kind of near the end of the first book. Emma gets a call from her dad that he wants to introduce her to to his new girlfriend. Fair enough. She shows up. And who is there? It's Trent and his mom. Oh my god. The same two people that em- that Emma introduced that caused this entire train no. wreck. 
And we found out that they've been together for two years. Somehow, Trent and Emma never knew about this. I don't know how that went unnoticed. So Trent stupidly assumes that Emma introduced them on purpose, wanting to break up his parents' marriage. Why would, like she, back wa- way why would she fucking want that, though, bro? Why would she give a shit? His assumption about this is that Emma's mother died when she was... I think in middle school or something. And he thinks that she's trying to replace the mother figure in her life with his own mother. My man, no one cares. This is insane. This is This like, is literally insane. Yeah, this is a level of like detachment from reality that is concerning. Yeah. Right. Because on the first point, I've said this a million times, they were best friends during this time. Why on earth... Would Emma want to destroy the marriage of her best friend's parents, especially after her mother has died? <sighs> like, she watched her own parents' marriage. Like, it didn't fall apart because she passed away. But, like, she saw what it did to her dad when well, her mother died. And Why would she do that? If you're best friends, I mean, I know you don't share all things with your friends necessarily, but, like, if you're best friends, wouldn't your grief or grieving process... Or something have come up in your conversations or interactions with your best friends over two years? You would think so. Like, how could you have been best friends with this person and not understand, like, them enough in your interactions with them to know their motives in that context? Right. Makes no sense. I've had a lot of best friends over the years, like, at different ages, and I never cared once about if their parents were nope. divorced or married nope. and who they were with. Not once. Not once. Never. Do never, not ever, care. ever. I, I don't give a shit. And actually, it was very common for my parents to meet their parents. Yeah. 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 Happened all the time. Yeah. I never thought it was fucking weird. Nope. I never, I never, I even had friends that their parents got divorced. I never once thought it was because they met my mother. Like, <laughs> what the fuck? It's just so stupid. Like, and then to make another point about this, like, Emma and Trent and these other dudes, like, they all had crushes on each other when they were in high school. She fucked one of them in high school, like, in the high school in a supply closet. No, I didn't make this up. Girl. It's just stupid. It's just stupid. Why would you want to destroy the, like, destroy your crush's life? I, none of this makes sense. They were also, like, 17. High schoolers are not that malicious. Like, I don't, and I don't know. Um, so anyways, I can, I'm saying all this. I can understand Trent initially being upset, finding out that your mom who went through a messy divorce is in a secret long-term relationship with your crush's dad is kind of traumatic. Like, I can understand that. Be but mad instead at the of mom. Just like, well, and like, but in, and instead of just, you know, like talking to Emma about it, he decides very, very smartly that he's going to get revenge. Great. On this. So how is he going to get revenge? Well, do we remember this group project that they were working on? He decides that he's not going to turn it in, which in turn makes them all fail this class. I hate him. God, he fucking sucks. They all suck. They all suck. But like, you know, initially this doesn't sound that bad, but yeah, it does. Emma, 
Well, I mean, you know, a failing grade is a failing grade, like whatever. But Emma is at Clearwater on a very specific scholarship through her dad's work. So if Emma fails any of her classes, she loses her scholarship. And without it, she cannot afford to attend the school. Like, I didn't really mention it, but Clearwater is a very, like, private university. It's very expensive. Of she wouldn't be She wouldn't be able to go. It's a dark romance. They have to all be rich. Yeah. Right, exactly. So by doing this, Trent has secured her one-way ticket to getting kicked out of school. Naturally, Emma is raging mad. Can't say I blame her. She knows that Trent just didn't turn the project in when she finds out that she failed because she knows that they did a good job on this project. Like, there's no way she would have failed otherwise. So she decides that she's going to get revenge back. Again, can't say I blame her. We support women's wrongs. But the way that she goes about it is disgusting. Like, I didn't think you could be worse than Trent and Emma just proves you wrong. Like, it doesn't make any sense. So... Emma invites Trent over to her dorm room where she seduces him and convinces him that they should mutually masturbate together, which she captures on camera. No, girl. Why are people... What? (laughs) Yeah, it's literally so insane. She sets up this camera in a way that, like, it only captures him because, like, she's on the bed and, like, he's on a couch. And somehow Trent just doesn't notice, I guess. And then Emma posts this video on the university's, like, community social media. No. No. Like, as, like, revenge porn. I fucking hate dark romance more than anything than I've ever before. I, like, this is so unlike anything else I've read because, like, even though, like, it's been, like, I've read a dark romance book, I've, there's, this stuff, like, it doesn't even compare to this. Like, I've never, like, normally it's, like, they're killing, like, actual bad people, you know? Like, it doesn't, like, rapists or whatever. Like, it doesn't bother me. This is, like, petty shit, and mm-hmm. I, it's just so fucking stupid. Like, I don't, I hated every minute of it. And then, but I kept, like, giving Eva Ashwood the benefit of the doubt because I like her other books, and I just kept reading it, and it never got any better. And then by the end of it, I'm like, what the fuck did I subject myself to? Like, this sucks so bad. I was honestly going to talk about the whole series, but it's just so boring and meaningless and insane that I decided against it. All I will tell you is that Trent's mom and Emma's dad get engaged by the end of the book, and Trent and Emma decide that they're just going to keep dating anyway, despite the fact that they're step-siblings. They don't think that this is weird in the slightest. Um, Could be worse. And near... And and then near the end of the book, Trent even makes a comment about being her brother while he's inside no. her. No. No. No, no, I no, felt no, like, no. I felt like bleaching my own eyeballs. God. I feel like you're putting me through, like, Credence 2.0. Yeah, it was, it was so bad and disgusting. And it was all insane and completely buck wild. And I say all that to say that... I know this wasn't like a raging review of of dark romance and it's probably not going to want you to make you read them anymore, but just know that this is an outlier in all the ones I've read. And I don't usually feel so icky when I get done reading them, but this one made me feel icky and revenge porn is not a good idea and don't ever ever do it ever, ever, ever. Ever. I don't care how mad someone makes you Mm -hmm. never, ever do that. And it's just, I can't believe that she wrote this in her book. I can't completely believe it. I 100% believe it. That's how I imagine all dark romance to be. 
Like it, it, but it's not like it's it's not like that. It's like, especially with the stuff I've read before. Like it could exist, and I don't know if it does. Like it, maybe it does. I don't know, but it, it's kind of I can tell that Eva Ashwood is like moving away from these kind of ideals because in her newest books, like this kind of stuff, I don't think would ever come up because she does a lot of um like advocation for like sex workers and stuff like that, and so like I think that you could just benefit this to being old works or whatever. doesn't excuse it. I'm not saying the that it does. The fact that it has revenge but... porn is not the problem for me. The fact that the revenge porn is between the two romantic leads of exactly. the book right. is where I'm like, right. what the fuck is going on here? That it's part of their romance arc. Yes. Like, what? What the fuck? Yeah, like, revenge porn being a part of a dark romance book, like, yeah, whatever. That's bread and butter, like, shit. I, I would imagine that the bad guy would do that and then the romantic lead would avenge them in some completely unhinged and absolutely disproportionately responsive way. Not the two romantic leads to do that to one another. It's very Colleen Hoover. Uh, uh. Yeah. Like, it definitely gave me those vibes. It's, yeah, it's November like, 9th. Well, and then, like, I think what was so confusing to me was that, like, Trent obviously was, like, the biggest perpetrator of this bullying. Like, it was all... He was, like, the ringleader. If if they were the plastic, he was Regina I cannot get over that his name is fucking Trent. I know. Disgusting. But, like, the other two guys... At at some points during the book, like, they don't even talk to Trent because they're like, you know, you're being unnecessarily rude to Emma. Like, she's not done anything wrong. Why don't you just talk to her? But then they keep, like, backing him like it's some kind of bro code or some bullshit. And it's like, why don't you just tell your piece of shit friend to his face that he needs to leave this fucking girl alone? We don't have a game for this episode, so I was going to ask a question related to this. Would you rather scream the name Trent or scream brother? Oh, it's both. They're both so bad. Neither. They just get kicked Neither. out of the podcast again. Nope. Yeah, you're done. <laughs> like you're out. Yeah. No, but seriously, like again, like no, but seriously, answer the question. I want to know <laughs> what Trent. What would I rather shout? Trent. Like, yeah. I'm not gonna like shout brother at climax. You oh, you could make it worse. You could you could scream bro. <laughs> Anyways, I say all that to say that, like, do I deserve a little bit of light bullying for the book? A little bit. Sure. We all have, we sure all, we all have our vices. It's fine. Not I me. Don't I have care. impeccable taste. I, you read Siggy Shade. <laughs> you are I was Shady. joking. <laughs> <laughs> well, all that to say, like, you know, this is like a, definitely an outlier and like the books that I have read that like, the majority of this podcast would say are bad. Um, And, like, I would never, ever recommend that you read this. If you want to venture into dark romance, don't pick this one up. Um, It sucks really bad, and I hated it. And, yeah, the writing's awful. When I, I should have, I should have opted out when I figured out that they had named their click. I should have just put it down. (laughs) I, I, I cannot describe to you the visceral reaction I had when I found out that they were named the icons. The icons. Yikes. Yeah. yeah. So, um, anyways, that was it. Um, don't read Clearwater University. Wasn't planning on it. Yeah, definitely don't. Eva Ashwood, I'm sorry. I love your other books, but girl, this one wasn't it. So, I don't have a game. I'm too depressed. So, 
It's also very late. After all of our technical difficulties in our first recording, we just don't have the energy. We have to work tomorrow. We don't. Yeah, unfortunately. But we love you all. Thank you for listening. Yeah. Yeah. Whoever's taking us out, do it. Yes, that's me. You can find us at Red in the Dark Pod on Instagram and Tumblr. Our email is redinthedarkpod at gmail.com if you want to ask a question about any of the books we discussed on this episode, except maybe not Clearwater University. Don't ask questions. We don't want to know. No! We also have a book club. You can find us at the Word Page Library on Instagram and Tumblr, which will have details on how to join our Discord. You can also find our annual reading challenges by searching Word Page Library's Baker's Dozen and Word Page Library's Book of the Month in the Challenges section of Storygraph. B's book slash series for this episode was The Curse Workers series by Holly Black. Kristen's series was The Clearwater University series by Eva Ashwood. Some of the books we mentioned on this episode were The Cruel Prince by Holly Black and The Coldest Girl in Cold Town by Holly Black. We might have mentioned other stuff, but honestly, that's the most important stuff. That's That's all all that that matters. matters. Our next episode will be out on February 20th. Keep reading and we'll see y'all next time. Bye. 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 Bye.